Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Stuart Shanker, author of Reframed, Self-Reg for a Just Society. Uh, For Stuart Shanker, the possibility of a truly just and free society begins with how we see and nurture our children. He is renowned for using cutting-edge neuroscience to help children feel happy and think clearly by better regulating themselves. The paradigm revolution presented by Shanker not only helps us understand the harrowing time we are living through, but inspires a profound sense of hope for the future. He shares that there is no such thing as a bad kid or a fixed income, and that all people can learn to self-regulate in ways that promote rather than constrict growth. He shows us how to build a compassionate society one mind at a time. He is a distinguished research professor, emeritus of philosophy and psychology at York University, and a best-selling author on the topic of self-regulation and child development. Welcome to the to the show, Stuart. Thank you very much, Kathy. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about reframed. Uh, what does that mean in terms of? What what is reframing exactly? What are we talking about in the con? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we've had a a revolution in neuroscience over the last twenty years, and essentially, what's happened is we've been able to see processes deep inside the brain and how they influence how we think and how we act. This has turned out to be huge for our understanding of children's behavior because it's enabled us to distinguish between misbehavior and stress behavior. So misbehavior is when a kid does something on purpose, uh, testing limits, seeing what they can get away with. Stress behavior are behaviors that are caused by processes deep inside the brain. And when we reframe, what we're talking about is asking whether the behavior that we're dealing with is actually a a case of misbehavior or if it's stress behavior, something that's been caused. The problem here is that if it is, in fact, stress behavior and we punish that child uh, or, you know, we uh, seek to teach the kid a lesson, what we're doing is tremendously increasing the stress load on that child. We're actually harming the uh, whole stress response system. So that's what reframing is all about. It's learning how to distinguish when a child's behavior is caused and the causes are always the same. The causes are excessive stress. So if we recognize that a kid is behaving in a way that's caused by excessive stress, then we start to figure out why. What are the excessive stresses on this child? And how can we help this child learn how to deal with those stresses in a constructive way, in a way that leads to a happy and healthy future? All right, let's take the, let's go back and uh, look at a, uh, I guess we can go back to look at a toddler. At two and a half is when they're, they're mobile, they make their, they try to make their yeah. own decisions and they're, and, and you know, they, what the terrible twos, let's, that's what we've defined them as the terrible twos. So, our attitude toward the terrible twos, as you're describing it, is not a good thing because we're blaming the kid even at two years old for the 
behavior. <laughs> that's, exactly. <laughs> that's right. So what do we do? That's Let's start. Exactly what would right. we do if we're doing this reframing and, and it's stress behavior, not misbehaving? How do we handle it differently? Well, it's a great question. It's the kind of question that a social worker with a microphone would ask. <laughs> um, so what's happening at the, uh, in the terrible twos is that the kid um, is starting to stimulate themselves. Uh, a child needs stress, and in the first year, in the first year and a half, uh, the caregiver is the one who's really providing that stress in a sort of regulated way. And we do it all kinds of ways. We do it by smiling, singing. These are gentle forms of stresses uh, that wake up the nervous system. When the child becomes mobile, they start to um, seek out ways of stimulating themselves. But they're so young, they're really not very good at it. And so one of the things that happens is they overstress themselves what that means is really important. Uh, when scientists talk about stress, what we're talking about is something that requires the brain to burn energy in order to stay in some sort of balanced state. So what the kid is doing is they're seeking stress and stress, the stress wakes them up, but they overdo it. And they overdo it to the point where they can't get rid of all this extra stress that's built up inside their nervous system. Uh, and so they may have a tantrum or they, or they begin to insist on themselves. But what they really need at this point is they need to be regulated. In fact, they need to be down-regulated. We need to help them calm and soothe themselves uh, to get rid of this extra stress and return to this state of, of balance, of being calm. The important point here is that children at the age of two or two and a half are learning how to, how to regulate themselves. They're just starting to. They're like a novice driver, and they don't do it very well. And so what happens is quite often the child ends up developing what are called maladaptive ways of self-regulating, and this is another reframing. So I'll give you a nice example. Uh, my own clinic was for young children on the spectrum, kids with autism. And for these kids, uh, they find things highly stressful that a neurotypical child doesn't. So, for example, they find social interaction very stressful. And um, it's the stress coming from the, the caregiver's voice or being touched or proximity, lots and lots of things that they find very stressful. A lot of these children deal with this stress by gaze aversion, turning away. This is a way of blocking the stress, of, of trying to avoid or suppress the stress. I hope I'm explaining this well enough. Yeah, I think it's good to show the extreme example because it's it's very helpful, yes. Okay, now this is a problem. Why is it maladaptive? It's maladaptive because the child, the two or two and a half year old, really needs these social interactions to learn all kinds of things, to learn language, to learn the meaning of facial expressions, to learn how to read what what other people are thinking or feeling. By gaze averting, what the child is doing is they're blocking the stress of the moment of the social interaction 
but they're also blocking all these other things that they need to learn from social interaction. So what we needed to do in our own clinic was um, we needed to figure out how can we reduce the stress of the social interaction so that the kid actually enjoys being with mom and dad or whoever, grandparents, so that the child can attend to their faces, to their movements, and learn. And that's essentially, uh, we ran a, a seven-year study on this. And it, uh, what we learned is that if you can reduce the stress, whether it's physical stress, emotional stress, social stress, whatever the stress is, the child will naturally engage with the caregiver and, in fact, will begin to turn to the caregiver when they're overstressed. And this point is huge. Uh, you said in your introduction, you know, we're living in harrowing times. Uh, the stress on children and teens is, is the highest I've ever seen in my, in my career. And what we need is for them to have adaptive ways of self-regulating, of dealing with their stress, not maladapted. So maladaptive, that might be holding up on your computer and playing video games to distract yourself or watching movies. Or if it's teens, what we're seeing is, you know, an epidemic of um, uh, drinking or, or experimenting with marijuana. The adaptive way of dealing with their stress today is the first uh, and most effective way is to go to your caregivers, is, is, is to get that comfort that uh, only the, that a caregiver can provide, that soothing presence to reduce the stress and figure out a strategy. And what we're seeing today is, as you know, um, I was looking at your website, as you know, we're seeing an explosion of mental health disorders in children and teens. And these are the result of two factors. Uh, one factor is the very, very high levels of stress, different kinds. But the other factor is the explosion of maladaptive ways of dealing with that stress rather than healthy, soothing, growth-promoting ways of dealing with stress. So that's essentially what we learned by delving deep into the bottom levels of the brain. So, Stuart, what do we do in the context, let's say, of what's happening right now? We have a massacre of babies in, yep. in a school, and you have children from 6 to 16 who have access to that information. Let's start with the the children who are the same age. How do you, because they, you know, I hear parents have all, you know, I guess deal with this in very different ways. They, they don't want the, the six-year-old to, to watch television or to see it or to see what happened in a magazine or, and, and so that's one way. Is that adaptive, maladaptive? Can we talk about exactly what to, how to do this, how to reframe things in, in the, as I said, in the context of all this um, okay. horror that's happening so, now. Yeah. So, yeah. Catherine, that's a great, it's a great question. And it applies not just to the kids or to teens, but to the parents as well. So what's happening is we are seeing a generation that are being traumatized. And this is a word that is thrown around a lot. Um, and we know that trauma... Um, has long-term 
uh, downstream effects. Um, it affects mental health. It affects uh, your well-being and so on. We know this. What are the things that we've learned by this ability that we now have to see what's happening deep inside the brain is we have this uh, understanding of what's called the neural access. And what that means is, is that essentially you have uh, deep inside the brain, uh, Catherine, tell me if this is too complex, okay? Deep inside the brain, you have uh, the brain stem and that controls, say, breathing. And you have just above that what's called the midbrain. And the midbrain um, has, and this is a, a really important point, the midbrain has self-regulating mechanisms. The original definition of self-regulation was uh, defined by an American uh, physiologist called Walter Bradford Cannon. Uh, and it starts with these mechanisms that control things like being with other people controls our body temperature, a lot of things that it controls. When the stress is too great, these, self, these, these mechanisms, self-regulating mechanisms, get over, uh, they're overstretched. They become dysregulated. The kid goes into homeostatic imbalance. And what that means, that's a technical term, and what it means is that the child is now at the very depth of their brain, they're in an overstressed state. And this stress goes up the neural axis. It goes into the middle part of the brain, the limbic system, the things where the child feels things. So the child feels fear and anger. These get, these get aroused, hyper-aroused by what's happening deep inside the brain. And then it flows further up the neural axis and it flows up into what the child says or what the child does. And now what we find is the child is saying, I don't know, he's saying mean things or he's, he's, he's become very oppositional. And our attitude until, until 20 years ago was that we have to teach the kid. We're going to punish them. Uh, we're going to... Uh, we're going to uh, uh, use firm discipline so that they don't act in this way. But the problem is coming from deep inside the brain. The problem is coming from the lowest levels of the brain that have become hyper-aroused. Okay. So well, how now are we going to help our kids? So how are we going to help them? That, yeah, because you've defined it really yeah. well. This is what's happening with okay. these kids who are being traumatized. But in practical terms, what do we do with that six-year-old when he goes to school and an eight-year-old tells him things it's about what happened um, in Texas at, that his parents are not telling him about or that he wasn't aware of because kids at six are out in their real world. What do we actually do as parents to mitigate, well, to reframe uh, the trauma. Okay, so now what we're going to do is we're going to focus our efforts on the bottom level of the brain. We're going to soothe that bottom level. We're going to get everything. Uh, we're going to get everything um, uh, back in balance. And we have all kinds of signs in our in our child. Uh, give me. Two, uh, let me answer it in two ways. We have all kinds of signs uh, when that system's out of balance. So, for example, our child's voice changes. Uh, their skin color changes. We, have, we can read when, they're, when the bottom of the brain is, uh, is, is out of whack. So now what we've got to do is the second part 
is we have to soothe that bottom part of the brain. How do we do it? Well, there's obvious ways that we do it. We, um, we you know, make sure that the child's eating properly, exercising, sleeping properly. But the number one need that that child has is um, for social connection with us. And here, it doesn't really matter what you say, because this part of the brain, all it's processing is that you make me feel safe. The number one need that these children have right now from us is to feel safe in our presence. And that might mean very low soothing vocalizations. It might mean a little caress, a hug, as much as they need. What we're doing is we're turning off and literally, we're stimulating a deep part of the brain um, called the periventricular nucleus. What we're doing is we're, these, these neurons have been agitated. So through our, through our just gentle presence, soothing, not explaining, not teaching, um, what we can do is we can turn off these systems, turn off these alarms. And we're going to do the same thing with, with the child's emotions. If the child is very frightened, what we need to do is instead of uh, trying to explain to the child that you don't need to be afraid, these are, it's very difficult for a child to absorb what you're saying. What we really need to do is turn off the bottom part of the brain, which is keeping the fear, uh, keeping that fear alarm activated. So we soothe. And we figure out for every child, there's something different that's soothing. We figure out how do we soothe this child. Uh, and the reality is that I have a 20-year-old um, who is on the spectrum, and he has been traumatized by this as much as anyone. He needs to be soothed. He does not need to be lectured. He does not need to be pushed. This is a difficult time for them to go through. And what they need is the safety and security that only we as adults, whether it's caregivers or educators or whoever's with these children, they need the same thing from us. It's, it's called the interbrain. They need a secure brain-to-brain -brain hookup where they know that we will keep them safe, that we will protect them. So soothing, protecting, calming, all of those words are you've, you're just describing. How much probing do we do? Like you're giving the example, let's say, and I'm going back to the six-year-old because I have a six-year-old grandson and two four-year-olds who are twins. And how much do you have to know where this behavior is coming from or you don't? Or, or do you know what I'm like? How much? I do. Yeah. Okay. That's the question. Okay. So, you know, we've, uh, when I was training in psychiatry, we had all these methods that we were taught for working with, with young children. So you use dolls to help them express the emotions that they're, that they're uh, uh, undergoing. But what we've learned is that all of these techniques, and these are wonderful techniques, um, only work. They are only effective if the child is calm. If the child is, in, and the same is true, by the way, for adults. So you cannot argue with someone who is in a hyper-aroused state. So there are, we want to help them work through these emotions. I think that was the word you used, and we have to do this, but not 
not until we know that they are in a state where they can, um, uh, I'll just make this very simple. These emotions, as such, are fleeting. They're ephemeral. That's the point of an emotion. The child has a fear, but they need to learn that that emotion will pass and they will feel good again. This is one of the problems that we have going back to your earlier example of working with toddlers. For the toddler, um, the emotion feels uh, catastrophic. Um, it feels, uh, you know, if they're afraid, whatever, and it's so catastrophic that perhaps what the child does is deals with that emotion, say it's anger or fear, by trying to suppress it, avoid it, run away from it. But we now know that the child needs to be able to express that emotion. They need to see that they can express it with us, that they will not be, uh, let's say, it's anger, that they can express their anger without being afraid that we're going to abandon them or, 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 or withdraw from them or avoid them. So they can safely experience that emotion knowing that it will pass. So that's what we do. So what we do is... We get the, the child has to be in that calm state where we can begin to explore the emotions that the child is experiencing. Helping the child realize that as emotions, they will feel good again. The fear will pass. That it is just a momentary thing. Um, and throughout all this, so whether we do it with dolls or whether we do it with, you know, stories or gentle questioning, however we do it, we have to constantly read the signs of when this is too much, when this is overloading the child. Now, there's no rush. And so we'll back off. We need the child to get back into that safe and secure state. Um, uh, there's a wonderful expression that we use uh, in Spanish, calatinamentos. And that's how we do this with children, slowly, step by step. And what we find is, over time, this isn't something that we're going to fix in, in you know, one session. Over time, they will begin to be able to explore this part of their life, this emo the fears that they've now got, without running away from them, without avoiding them, um, and, and emerge from this uh, healthy. What's unhealthy is if we try to get them, is, uh, and I think this is where you were heading, what's unhealthy is if we encourage them to repress all this, if we encourage them to run away from this, suppress it, um, because we, we now know that that will lead to further problems, um, if not right away, certainly when they get older. Yeah, I think that's true. We only have a few minutes left, but I think, yeah, we in addition to suppressing very often as a mother, <laughs> uh, I could... I get, you know, parents have begin to have their own tantrum. They get embroiled yeah. in this, right? Exactly. And and their own meltdown, yeah. which obviously is not helpful. Um, there, I mean, there's so much more uh, in the book, obviously, that we can talk about. So I want to mention the book again, Reframed, Self-Reg for a Just Society. And I'm talking to Stuart Shanker, who is the author of the book. Um, one of the, just one last question, I guess common is one of the things that you say that, you know, our behavior, if it's not working uh, uh, and is not fixed, we can change that. We can change the paradigm yeah. at any point in our lifespan. Cause I think that's a really important point that you do make. 
Yeah, and this is your life, your own life's work. And what we've discovered is yeah. there's never a point in the lifespan where a trajectory can't be changed. Yeah. All right. So website and or websites that we can go to for more information um, about the book and about the work you're doing? I think the best one would be uh, self-reg.ca. There's all kinds of things you can download for free and all kinds of courses you can take if you want to learn more. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Uh, keep, keep, keep doing what you're doing, Catherine. Yep. The world needs and you now. too. Keep up the good work. <laughs> yes, thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 